Welcome to the Pastor's Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church in Chicago. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon, there's all kinds of material that influences, shapes, and informs, but ultimately gets cut from the final preach. The Pastor's Cut is a chance to go behind the scenes and access that content that informs our teaching every week at Park. This week, I'm joined by my wife, Megan Lovell, as we discuss what got cut from my sermon on Acts chapters 11, 12, and 13. So let's get started. This is The Pastor's Cut, and I'm your host, Trevor Lovell. All right, Meg, good to be here with you. Yes, yes. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, or good morning, or good evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this. Um, okay, quick question for you. I want to ask, looking forward to having this conversation with you, because you were actually pivotal to the uh, launch of this podcast. We're, we're about two years deep into this now. And so I kind of want to go back to the beginning and revisit the sort of the, the vision and the genesis and the origins of this podcast and then um, kind of recount where we've been over these past two years. So Meg, uh, take it away. How did this, where did the pastor's cut come from? The pastor's cut came from an idea that I said to you and you took it and you ran with it. In, in this very living room. Yes. Historic moment, <laughs> at least for us. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was like uh, it was a couple of, a little over two years ago. I think it was middle of winter. We were talking about different things, uh, like ways to kind of grow in understanding of the word. And you had this idea of like, well, what about a podcast that would kind of, um, I think just in conversation we arrived at, that it would be like an extension of the teaching ministry, the preaching ministry at park and would kind of go a little bit deeper into the passage, knowing that things get cut from there that uh, are beneficial, that are really, really helpful things to know theological, biblical pieces, but um, there's just not room for it in the sermon. You can't just preach for an hour and a half. And so a podcast became an idea for a kind of an, an extension of that preaching ministry in a space to include those things. And so, um, yeah, that's how we arrived here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the past two years have been pretty cool, too. So we initially we started in the book of Exodus. We were going through that over the summer about two years ago. Uh, I guess it's 2021. So it would have been summer of 2019 uh, book of Exodus. And then we rolled into Romans in the fall, um, going through that until about the spring. And then the pandemic hit. And we actually transitioned into basically another podcast called The Daily Cut for a while. Uh, that was a lot of fun throughout the pandemic, just knowing that people had disrupted rhythms, schedules were kind of thrown out the window, and it was a chance to kind of uh, give space to a lot of different people to exercise their teaching gifts. Uh, it was cool. We had had so many different voices on it, um, and basically they were just daily devotional, six days a week for several months. Um, and then at, towards the end of that, once we were coming back into Romans in the, uh, last fall, we transitioned back into the pastor's cut wrapped up Romans in January, and now we have been flowing through the book of Acts. And uh, it has been uh, quite quite a ride over the past couple of years, but, for, but it's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know you know how many episodes there's been. Yeah, we're in the 150s now. So. Yeah. Wait yeah. around it. Wait. I know you know exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been mm -hmm. fun. We got mugs and, and all kinds of things. So for those of you who have been with us on the journey, 
uh, thank you so much for uh, for listening, for being a part of this, for hopefully it's been beneficial for you, that you've enjoyed it. And uh, for those of you who might be new, uh, who might be checking it out for maybe the first time or your more recent, um, thanks for joining along. We hope you continue to stick with us and find this to be a beneficial um, aspect and beneficial rhythm of your of your life. The, the hope is that this would be a spiritual discipline, almost like spending time, uh, you know, reading in the word daily, spending time in prayer, being a part of a small group, that this is just another spiritual discipline uh, in the same vein as those to help you to grow as a follower of Christ. And so that is our hope and uh, our prayer before every episode. So, all right, with that, let's go ahead and jump into things. So uh, sermon recap, from this past weekend, uh, I preached on the book of Acts in, in near North Lincoln Park um, from chapter 11, verse 19, flowing all the way to chapter 13, verse 3. And I gave a plug in the sermon basically about talking uh, through chapter 12 as well, just because um, it was a big passage. And thematically, the end of 11 and the beginning of 13 tied together. But then there's this whole digression through chapter 12. So I was looking forward to having a chance to talking about that with the what got cut. But uh, with the sermon itself, the big idea was really that as we're faithful, our understanding grows, um, that as we're faithful, our understanding grows. And there's just two movements. The first one being that um, really as we grow as followers of Christ, as we continue throughout this life, our understanding of the gospel continues to deepen and grow and we uh, see more facets of it. And it continues to kind of get, a, get at us uh, at a heart level in different ways. And so you know, at first there's kind of this one-on-one understanding where you, you just come to faith and, and believe that Jesus died and rose again and everything that that means for us, or at least pieces of what that means. Um, yeah, but then but then you continue to, to grow in your understanding of the gospel. And I know this has been my experience that I started there, but then you see all these different pieces of how it continues to uh, kind of meet us in our deepest places of need, kind of these these wounds that continue to shape us and uh, and lead us to live in ways that at times can be detrimental, uh, that the gospel really meets us in those places. And that's a significant piece of how we grow is God bringing healing to us through the gospel in those specific places. Um, but then also a third one would be that it compels us to live in certain ways that we uh, get these almost like pictures of the ways that Jesus engaged with certain circumstances, that he did certain things um, or, or just different themes in the gospel that lead us to engage in ways uh, in this life that are different, that, that lead us to an understanding of what faithfulness is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm curious when you think over your, your life story, you know, coming to faith at about uh, probably junior high um, and then tracing it up, was you, how, how would you kind of um, trace different pieces along in your growing understanding of the gospel? Um, oh man. <laughs> Uh, I think going from first accepting Christ and my life trajectory changing, uh, I think the biggest thing is you're kind of trying to figure out who God is and what does it mean to live your life for him. So I think that was like, that was where I was at for quite a while, for quite a while. And then we came to park and, you know, they're a gospel centered church. The gospel is preached in every message. And I, I like, it's crazy to say, but I feel like it took me that long to truly understand the gospel, you know, um, and the story of just 
I think the gospel and then also um, just as like growing in um, in Bible knowledge and um, doing different studies and weaving how the Bible it's the gospel is woven all throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, everything points to him. Everything points to Jesus. And um, I think it was really cool to um, learn that like way back in Genesis, you know, all the way till Jesus comes, like it's all, it's all woven in there. There's all these little hints, um, like little visions and everything that you get. And I just think that's really cool that um, in, a book this size, multiple writers, you can really see God's hand in it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think, yeah, it it took me longer than what I would like to admit. Um, But I I mean, that comes from being more diligent in my word and in prayer and um, coming to park where they do gospel center preaching. Yeah, because we attended a long time before we were ever on staff or anything like that. We were just attenders and then began to serve and uh, were involved in, in different ways like that. So um, I would agree, same thing for me, that the the park was really huge for, for growing in my own understanding of the gospel. I would say for a long time, I was kind of at that 101 level mm-hmm. and kind of trying to read different books and, uh, you know, growing in my understanding of the Bible and theology, but but seeing, like you're saying, how the gospel is like woven throughout all of scripture, uh, how it's all pointing to Jesus, that that was something that I I didn't know about. And now it's it's pretty fun, actually. To, it's like a neat thing that you can approach, um, like whenever I'm working on a sermon, you can approach the passage and know that in some way, uh, this is going to have an intersection with the gospel, that, that the gospel is going to arise in some way from this passage. And uh, it's just a matter of figuring that, figuring that out. And, uh, so it's, it's neat to be able to have that confidence and that conviction in approaching scripture. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so then it moved from there with the, with the sermon into this, um, one particular way that the gospel compels us to engage and it, uh, had to do with being ascending church, the church in Antioch, uh, very famous, well-known church in the scriptures, a diverse church, um, and the first church to send out missionaries. And, uh, yeah, and just kind of teasing out how it was the gospel that compelled them to engage with the circumstances that surround them, that led them to be ascending church, that the gospel really was the catalyst for that. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun one. It was a fun message. Um, but with that, uh, we'll keep good on our word and let's uh, let's move into what got cut and talk about chapter 12 here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned in your sermon that it we skip all chapter 12. Yeah. So... Um, I like that we're taking the time here to go over chapter 12 because a lot happens. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like when I read chapter 12, um, I was like, if they made this into a movie, Uh it would be, it would be pretty crazy, but it wouldn't be believable because it like, yeah, just, you would be like, that's not. Uh-huh. that doesn't happen there's no way that happens you know but i was thinking about that i was like if yeah. you made this into a movie it could be classified as a really corny action movie you know <laughs> because it's like really high tent scenes but yeah but like the unbelievable happens you know yeah like these these, these impossible are... things happen yeah um, which i mean we'll get into as we uh-huh. unpack it but i was thinking about that 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It's I like I like that about the Book of Acts. So you can pretty much you can visualize so much of it. But well, yeah, with that, let's just go. We're going to jump in uh, and kind of give like a recap of Chapter Twelve, just sort of walk through it, and then uh, pull out a couple of themes and discuss those that are that are we think will be beneficial. So uh, basically, at the end of Chapter Eleven, once Paul and Barnabas are serving together in Antioch. Uh, there's a prophets among them who basically they prophesy that there's going to be a famine that's going to arise throughout the land. Um, and then Luke confirms that this happens during the reign of Emperor Claudius, who is, uh, you know, one of the one of the Roman emperors who ruined, uh, who reigned throughout the um, 40s AD. And so uh, after that, they respond to the prophecy and, and to the coming famine by raising funds to send to the believers who are in Judea, who seem to have been a little less resourced, um, who would have felt that hardship more. Uh, so they basically raise funds to be able to send to them to help throughout the time of hardship. Paul and Barnabas are the two who are chosen to deliver those funds. And so uh, that's what happens at the end of chapter 11. In chapter 12, they basically are there, but they're not in the forefront. They're not really named at all. Um, and what happens is uh, Herod, uh, one of the rulers there, the, the um, kind of the governor of that region, he had taken um, one of the, he had taken James, the, the brother of John, James and John, two of the disciples, um, and actually killed him with the, with the sword, it says in verses two and three, that he um, it says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Um, this was during the days of unleavened bread. And so there's a feast that's happening. And basically, he killed James uh, and saw that this was basically a thing that earned him some political favor with the people of Israel. So he's about to do the same thing with Peter, but he can't really release him because there's this feast happening. So he has to wait until the end of it. Um, and it says when he had him seized, he's got Peter in prison and there's four squads of soldiers guarding him. And he's literally got a person on either side of him that he's bound to with chains. And so there's like no chance of escape. And as soon as uh, the feast is over, as soon as Passover comes and goes, um, the plan is to put him on public trial before the basically before the people and in the same way that Jesus was and Peter's going to be condemned and he's going to be killed. He's going to be executed. Um, and so things are looking pretty bad. And it's actually it's the night before uh, that he's about to be basically put on public trial there that this uh, deliverance story takes place where he's sleeping tied to these two guards in prison. And an angel strikes him in the side and wakes him up and says, hey, like, get up quickly. <laughs> and, and as he does, the chains fall off of his hands and the two guards are still laying there sleeping. And the angel says, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he does so. And and the angel says, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so he does. And uh, and it says that he doesn't actually think what's happening is real. He thinks it's a dream or a vision or something. He, he and it, it's like so surreal that he it doesn't seem like it's actually happening to him. And so they pass by the first and the second guard, they come to an iron gate that leads into the city out of the prison. And it just opens for them of its own accord, it says, and they go out and they're, and they're on the street. And immediately the angel leaves and Peter realizes that none of that was a vision, that that all actually happened. And he's been delivered the night before he was about to be given up uh, and basically condemned to die, just like James, just like Jesus. And 
So he makes for the the home of uh, the mother of John Mark, actually, who we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, who he is and kind of the role that he plays. But um, he goes to knock on the door where all these believers are gathered, where they're actually praying for him, for his deliverance, for God to come through. And uh, a servant girl comes named Rhoda and she answers, well, she hears his voice from outside and she goes back instead of opening the door and welcoming him in, she goes back and tells everyone there's kind of this comical scene where uh, she goes back and she's like, Hey, Peter's here. And they're like, there's no way Peter's here. He, there's absolutely no way this is possible. She's like, no, really it's, it's Peter. And they're like, no, that can't be. Meanwhile, Peter's like still outside knocking and calling for them to let, to let them in and, or to let him in. And so eventually they, she comes back, lets him in. Uh, they're all like chattering and excited and he calms them and quiets them. And he tells them everything that that's happened. And he says, uh, tell these things to James and the brothers um, James being the, not the one who was killed, the brother of John, but James being the brother of Jesus, who comes to faith after Jesus has died and, and risen again and goes on to be a really significant leader in the early church. So basically saying, tell the other leaders of the early church about what has happened. And then he leaves and it, Luke just says, then he departed and went to another place. Doesn't even say where he goes, but uh, the point being Herod is still like after him. And so he's not safe in Jerusalem and he basically goes into hiding. Um, it says uh, in verse 18, now when they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Um, part of that being that whenever uh, like a prisoner was escaped, the soldiers would often suffer the same fate uh, that was meant to happen to the escaped prisoner. And so this gives a pretty clear indication of what was going to happen to Peter. Um, yeah, and then afterwards, Herod goes to, uh, he leaves Judea and goes to Caesarea and spends some time there. And there's this last little bit about his death, actually, right at the close of chapter 12, um, where he's angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, who are two cities in the, in the region of Phoenicia along the Mediterranean coast there, just north of Israel, um, kind of west of Galilee. And he's upset with them, but they depend on him for food, and it's the midst of a famine. So there's kind of this thing where he, it seems like he has almost unlimited political power. The famine seems to have given him even more power. Um, and so they persuade one of the people within his um, Blastus, the, the king's chamberlain is what his name is in his role. Um, they persuade him to basically get Herod to meet with them and to listen to them and to hear them out. Um, and so they can appease him and he'll provide food for them again. And it says uh, in verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them, a speech. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately it says an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Uh, he accepted their praise as God. Um, and it says he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Actually, there's uh, Josephus, which is a first century Jewish, Jewish historian. He writes, uh, he gives an account about this as well and says that he was struck down on that day and became sick with this like pretty intense stomach pain, lived for about four or five days and then passed away, um, which is, is, I mean, holds up with, with the, what, how this is describing it. Um, but then that's really the end of the chapter. And uh, the word of God increased and multiplied now that uh, kind of the persecution went away to some extent with Herod being gone. Uh, we see that Peter is able to basically come back to Jerusalem in chapter 15 after Herod had died. 
Um, and then Paul and Barnabas, they returned to Jerusalem. And that that's really chapter 12. Um, but with that, let's let's go ahead and and just kind of pull some things out. So first, maybe what what resonated with you, Meg, from chapter 12? Um, in in studying this, I thought it was um, interesting that, uh, you know, I have this study Bible. So if you open your Bibles and you really look and you really take the time, and if you do have a study Bible, like read those footnotes because they do have interesting, helpful things in them. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying in Luke 11, 49 through 51, Jesus like predicts this persecution um, and this hardship that like follows for these, for the believers. And um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, This is what God in his wisdom said about you. And this is Jesus you know, talking, I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world. So it's like Jesus warned them, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's just a quick little like word, but Mm -hmm. Jesus warns them, tells them what's going to happen. Doesn't warn them, just tells them. Um, And here it is, you know, starting to take place, you know, because it says that he began to, Herod began to persecute believers in the church. And then immediately he kills James. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, the way the Bible just drops, um, Mm -hmm. these breadcrumbs for you to follow. Um, and that's coming from Luke, right? Luke being part one of the the two part work, work that is Luke and Acts. Yes. So, um, I really, I liked kind of seeing that and being able to look back and see like our all knowing God, Mm -hmm. you know, predicts, I guess, for lack of a better word, predicts this is going to happen and lets them know. Um, and then, I mean, the part that just sticks out to me, I mean, I guess, do you have anything from like the beginning? I also wanted to go back. Sorry. I wanted to go back real quick and just talk about how they hear about this famine that's coming. And the the first thing that they do is they give. They don't hoard. They give. And I thought that was like interesting contrast to what happened when, you know, this pandemic started. This pandemic hit. And what did people do? Yeah. (laughs) They hoarded. You know, get all the toilet paper. They they (laughs) get all the toilet paper in their homes and all the food. Like we, as Americans, hoarded. You know, um, to some degree. Um, I can guarantee you, my first thought was not, "Who can I help? Who can I give money to?" Mm -hmm. You know, just being honest, it was, "Oh man." Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting to come into they've been told there's going to be a famine and the first thing they do is they give, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what we're being told. So they may, may have had thoughts of like, you know, how do we survive this? But they gave, you mm-hmm. know, and it, they gave as much as they could, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't give just a little bit. They gave as much as they could. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I thought that was really cool. But if any, if you have anything else from the beginning before we, no, that's good. That's good. Long. Yeah. It, well, there's an interesting connection too with Paul and Barnabas that Paul, uh, as he goes through this, like the missionary journeys that are extending throughout the, um, 
throughout the rest of the book. And you even see it at the end of Romans that he, as he's planting these churches throughout the, like the Gentile Roman empire, he's continually um, asking kind of for people to practice generosity and to give money to help the poor believers who are in Jerusalem or the less, uh, less resource believers. And I think it's just fascinating that you see the first instance of that here, that they're sent to deliver the funds Mm -hmm. from Antioch and then, Something about this experience leads him to continue to do that um, over and over again over the course of the rest of his life. Um, and so I think that's interesting to consider. Uh, the other thing that, that you were kind of saying about uh, Jesus um, giving them like a, like a heads up about what's going to take place back in Luke and then seeing it come to fruition here in chapter 12 with the persecution, the martyrdom of James, um, is that in some ways, like being able to look back on those words, I think would have been maybe an encouragement that even though things look bad, this does not mean that God doesn't know what's happening or that he's out of control in any way. Um, But like this was all expected. And even though it's painful, um, it doesn't mean that he's not with us. And I think, I think there's even like an interesting thing to be drawn out of what takes place with Peter uh, and with James and with Herod in that, um, that on the one hand, I think it um, that the stories for James and for Peter end differently. Eventually, Peter is martyred, but it's after a long life. It's after a much longer mm-hmm. um, stretch of time. And but but basically, you see that James dies and Peter is delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes we interpret whether or not God is with us on the basis of whether or not things are going well or poorly. That if things are going bad and life is painful, then God not he's not there, but if things are going well, then he is. Um, and I think what this shows us is that God was just as much with James in his death as he was with Peter in his deliverance. And just because things don't always turn out the way that we hope or the way that we want, doesn't mean that God isn't with us. He is. Um, but there's also, God isn't like the safety net that makes sure that everything is going to turn out just exactly the way that we want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, he's with us. And so I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, and then when it comes to having this this confidence in God being in control, um, I think just Herod's death is a big piece of that. That um, early on, you know, Herod, he's persecuting the church and he doesn't even have anything against them. He's just trying to gain this political favor with the with the Jewish people. And he sees that they like when they kill James. And so he's going to kill Peter, too. That's, that's like the only reason. Um, and it seems like he's all powerful and that this famine has just led him to to have even more power. Um, and he can kind of do whatever he wants. And, and they're at the sort of the whims of his mercy or his judgment. But the way that he dies under God's judgment there, and it just happens so suddenly and so quickly, so severely, I think it, it shows that, um, again, things may not may or may not work out in the way that we want them to or hope that they will. But just just because God seems like he's out of control or someone seems like they're incredibly powerful or something seems like it's uh, like this thing that is against God seems to be very powerful. Um, it basically the, like the Herods in our lives and in our situations, they only have as much like free reign as God is willing to give them and he can take it back in any moment. Mm-hmm. And so even those who persecute us um, and, Thinking, I guess thinking of like people living in, in places where they do experience more persecution, different mm-hmm. places of the world as followers of Jesus, that the ones who are enacting the persecution are still under God's control. Um, and he can, he can rein them in whenever he wants to. Um, 
not that he always does, but, but that he's able to. So I, I just, I found that to be really interesting as a theme throughout this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think too, <laughs> we had talked about this a little bit before we yeah, started yeah. officially recording, but um, <laughs> like Peter, he's in, you know, he's got, he's chained two guards like he's chained to them yeah. there's no way he can escape <laughs> this angel just whack in the side you know yeah. get up yeah. quick get up and he like he's going through this and he it's so unreal what is happening he thinks it's a dream he thinks it's a vision yeah and i like stopped to think about that for a second and i was like once I'm awake, I know I'm awake. I know I'm not having a dream anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I'm awake. I know what reality is. You know, I know when I'm in yeah. a dream world and I know when I'm in reality, when I've woken up, I'm like, can you imagine though being him? Like, okay, cause this is, this really happened. Do you know, this yeah. isn't just a fun story mm-hmm. or a cool story to read. Um, it, this is history. It actually happened and to put myself in his position and think, I've just, I've just been released from these chains. Mm -hmm. This angel is here, Mm -hmm. like taking me this gate that's closed, just opens, Yeah, (laughs) just opens. And then all of a sudden the angel is gone and you see it. He's by himself. And it says, Peter finally came to his senses because it says, and then the angel suddenly left him and he finally came to his senses and he's by himself. And it's like, it's really true, he said. Yeah. You know, it's like he's talking to himself. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. So he's like talking to himself. Yeah. Cause he's I just the insanity of it all of like yeah. this is actually happening. I actually am free. And he's like talking to himself. And then I can imagine like him thinking oh, wait, I've got to get going. Like, yeah. someone's still <laughs> yeah. after me. Like, I, the angel has taken me this far, but he hasn't taken me all the way to safety. So I've, I've got to get going. I've got to let some people know. Yeah. And so he goes to this, like, mm-hmm. he, he's like, I got to go, and I let, let these people know. <laughs> and Rhoda doesn't even really answer the door. She goes to the door, sees that it's him. Yeah. The door is still closed. <laughs> They're like, in my version, it says, they're yelling at her, you're out of your mind, yeah. you know? And yeah. it says, when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Uh-huh. You know, like they still don't believe it. And it's like, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And I'm like, was he like on the inside, like laughing at mm-hmm. the back and forth or how ridiculous? But he was probably more so like, are you kidding me? Someone is after me trying to kill me. I have escaped miraculously, but I'm still out here, you know, like (laughs) open the door and let me in. And I'm like, this is, you know, it actually happened to like actually put yourself into the, like put yourself into the Bible characters as you're reading. And it just is like, oh man, I would have been so mad if I was Peter open the door yeah. but then funny to look back on <laughs> funny to look back yeah, on when cool. you're still alive and in safety but yeah. like the comic nature of this chapter is pretty it's funny yeah. yes uh, yeah. and yet there's like awful things happening but uh, awful things but then yeah. the bible just has it all you yeah. know yeah. it has it all <laughs> it does it does <laughs> yeah
Um, man, so I think the last, yeah, the last piece uh, to kind of pull out of it, I would say, would be uh, John Mark shows up as a character in this chapter for the first time throughout throughout the book of Acts. Um, it's the home that all the believers are gathered in, is the, the home of his mother. And he gets, um, basically when Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, they bring him with, and then when they go on their first missionary journey, they bring him along as well. Uh, you see that, you see him mentioned in chapter 13, uh, that he's with them as kind of like an assistant. They're almost like mentoring him, discipling him in the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, he has an interesting story that he, uh, it just, he gets weaved in right here. Um, he's not one of the 12 disciples, but it seems like he is like close enough to Jesus that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's there. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, he, he's the person who goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. Um, basically, most people believe that he was in Rome with Peter, serving in ministry with him. And it was on Peter's like preaching and ministry notes that he took, collected those and wrote the Gospel of Mark. Um, but he was also... Mark talks about this like young kind of young boy, like almost like a teenager, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when they came to arrest Jesus, his somebody like one of the soldiers grabbed his cloak, and he in like wrestling to get away, he had to like basically take the cloak off and like flee for his life naked, mm-hmm. and he includes that in there almost as like a confession, like mm-hmm. I'm not proud of this, and I, but I was there and. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, I, again, I don't know if that was like a, like a funny piece or like a, I'm ashamed that I deserted him in this way and even in like a shameful way, but, um, but he's an interesting person that, so he shows up here, invited on the first missionary journey and things end up not going so well. He, he ends up deserting them at a certain point and he comes, uh, he just doesn't stick it out with uh, Paul and Barnabas and they go through some pretty hard things. Um, but then when they're, when it comes time for the second missionary journey, they're about to go together and he's back and Barnabas wants to bring him along and Paul doesn't. And it actually says that a sharp dispute or like a disagreement arose between them so much so that neither one is willing to compromise that Paul's not willing to take the risk and give him a second chance. Barnabas isn't willing to go without him that they actually like this kind of power team, this dynamic duo uh, they uh, they actually have to part ways. And so Barnabas goes on and continues to work with John Mark and Paul um, gets a guy named Silas to come with him. And then they go, they go on the journey together. Um, so it's kind of, it's just interesting the way that he leads to that eventual split between them. Uh, but then you see that, you see that Barnabas, uh, the faith that he had in him and willing to give him a second chance, uh, that it paid off. Uh, that there was redemption for him. And I, I think sometimes, well, the redemption, you see it in that later on, he goes on to write the gospel of Mark. He's serving with Peter. And Paul even says in one of his letters, uh, like send John Mark to me. He's he's like useful for me in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so there's reconciliation that takes place between them later on as well. Um, and I think one of the things that's really uh, helpful about that is sometimes I think we can look at our lives almost like, I was failing before I knew Jesus, I met Jesus, and now everything's good, and I'm not messing up anymore. And what John Mark's life shows is that even as followers of Jesus, we still make mistakes and we mess up, and failure is something that we uh, that we deal with, um, but that there is the potential for, like, restoration. There's, there's redemption. It's not like, it's not like Christianity is just a second chance if, if you've, like, you know, you messed up your life. Well, here's an, like, here's another opportunity. It's, 
that even as we continue to to be flawed individuals following Jesus as best as we can, but slipping up and, and um, failing in different ways, that there is still redemption for us um, throughout this life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I think that's sort of a hopeful piece about John Mark's story that we'll, that we'll unpack as we continue to go throughout the book of Acts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did want to just, mm-hmm. um, like, just make one more point. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, At the very end of 12, uh, when it just, it says, you know, it talks about instantly the angel, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness, you know, and he, it says because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Um. And then the next verse, verse 24, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. And reading that and the the contrast there of, mm. you know, this is the end of Herod. You know, this is the end yeah. of his reign. He's done. He's finished. And it's like this seemingly all-powerful mm-hmm. ruler has no more power and not only does he have no more power the word of god continues to spread and there are many new believers you know so there's the end of him but the continuing flourishing of god's word and you know more and more um, people coming to know him and so i thought that was really cool that just yeah you know you have the end of herod but then it's like while that was going on guess what else was happening like Mm -hmm you know, God was like using his word and it just mm-hmm. like people were just coming, you know, coming to faith. And yeah. it, I mean, it says many new believers, you know, yeah. not just a few. Um, yeah. I, like anyone looking from the outside in, I think would have probably thought that uh, like he's got the church under his thumb. He's yeah. killing the leaders um, and it's, he's going to like kind of squash this thing, at least in Jerusalem. And uh, no way that, if, if in the contest, if you've got to pick one, it's going to be Herod. And yet things reverse so quickly. Um, and it yeah. really does show God's ability to. Yeah, it, does, it, show, it shows God's power. Yeah. You know, it shows God's power and it shows his understanding of yeah. what's actually going on. Yeah. 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 I think that is, it's like adds a broader perspective that when things don't go the way that we want them to, like in the case with James as opposed to Peter. Yeah. Um, sometimes we look at it like very narrowly from an individualistic, like, why is this, why is this happening to me in this way? Um, but that broader perspective is helpful in seeing that God is working through all things uh, for the good of, for the good of us, but also for the good of like the church and what he's doing in this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After everything that's happened um, since January, yeah. like my, the like one of the biggest takeaways is this, this is not our final place you know yeah this is not the goal Mm -hmm. like to live life on earth is not the goal um you know heaven eternity with god is the goal so you know we all the journey here ends for us all at some point you know um and we all have hard times and good times you know and but this isn't the goal. So we can look at like Peter and James and be like, well, why, why did that happen to James and not to Peter? Well, this, that was his time, yeah. you know, that was his time. And he, you know, it's like, 
I think so often we make this the ultimate place, you know, our, mm. like we're so, um, are so short-sighted, yeah. um, in life that we forget that this isn't, mm-hmm. this isn't it, you know, we're striving for something bigger and better, you know, yeah. um, for eternity with God. And so, yeah. um, I just, I wanted to say that as well, just to, um, cause I think sometimes we're like, well, why, why does God not step in every time? If he loves us, why does he not step in every time? You yeah, know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we have to remember that we will all as believers receive God's great love perfectly, mm-hmm. um, in heaven, you yeah. know? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it for my little rant. And to that, we look forward. And to that, we look forward. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on another episode. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you have any questions you'd like us to discuss, you can send those to us at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org or just drop a comment wherever you happen to be listening. So thanks so much. We'll be back next week with a new episode.